Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Lude and Greg White with you here on the Supply Chain Now, the Supply Chain Buzz on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live Happy stream. Buzz Day. Greg, you th- thank you very much. Uh, are you buzzed for Buzz Day? Uh, it's also my brother's birthday. So happy birthday to my brother, Mitch. Um, happy birthday, Mitch. Yeah. That is outstanding. Yeah. Uh, 27, so, you know, right? There's the first news of the day. <laughs> well, happy birthday, Mitch. Where, where does Mitch uh, live, Greg? Indianapolis. So Indianapolis. Yeah, works for Eli Lilly there. Okay. So home of uh, St. Elmo's Steakhouse, I believe, in Indianapolis. Ever been there? No. I, you know, I've only been to Indy maybe once or twice. And okay. both times kind of in and out for business. So maybe I've been well, there, but I don't I, I would remember <laughs> it, right? Well, uh, just like my intro, I might be butchering the restaurant name a little bit. That I think it's St. Elmo's. They're, they're well-known. They've got some really spicy uh, shrimp cocktail, like extra horseradish in the cocktail sauce. So you've and been All there. the food's great. Yeah, I have. Oh, that's awesome. It is delicious. But Greg, today, so happy birthday, Mitch, in the beautiful city of Indianapolis, uh, wherever you are. Right. Today, though, it is all about the supply chain buzz here on Supply Chain Now, where we share some of the leading stories across global business. And Greg... We have got one of our favorites joining us. It's been about two years since she joined us last time. Yeah, she's put that in the green room. I cannot believe it. It's been that long, right? Not not quite two um, years, but coming up on it. Close. Right? Right. Sticking up on it. Um, Sylvia Judy, who is not only a supply chain dynamo, but the esteemed informal ambassador of the Charleston, South Carolina supply chain ecosystem. And Uh, homemade jams. Don't forget that. Right. That's right. Heavyweight champion of the world when it comes to homemade jam. So, uh, folks, if you've you tuned in, welterweight, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, but, folks, if you've tuned in any of our live streams, occasionally you'll, you'll see Sylvia Judy uh, tune in uh, and, and, and chime in from the cheap seats or the skyboxes, yeah. you name it. She hails from Charleston. And I uh, love her passion and all that she does in global uh, supply chain and trade. So, hey, but beyond Sylvia, Greg and I are going to be talking about a variety of topics and initiatives today. And buckle up and get ready because we want to hear from you, too. So weigh in. We're going to say hello to a few folks here momentarily, but would love to hear your take on the stories we talk about today. Yeah. Is that right, Greg? Yes, we would like to hear that. Yes. Actually, <laughs> hold on. I need to get to the comments here. Yeah. <laughs> So in the meantime, though, um, we'll share, we'd like to hear that. That's right. Depending on what you got to say. Um, but hey, in the meantime, I want to share uh, three events where we welcome your participation. The first is tomorrow is the latest working session for the leveraging logistics for Ukraine. Folks, if you're in a position to donate your efforts or your bandwidth or resources, or if you're not, that's perfectly fine. But but every, uh, I think once a month now, they get together to have these working sessions to um, uh, vet the needs that come in, needs in, in Poland, yeah. Ukraine, and elsewhere, and then find resources and the conveyance to get uh, containers across the pond. I think, Greg, 
outcomes from outcomes perspective. I think they already ten containers are on have or are on their way yeah. to folks in need. So uh, yeah. it's all about results, right? Yeah, and amazing informal, relatively informal effort led by our friends at Vector, um, Enrique Alvarez and Maureen, and the rest of the team making it happen there, uh, and then working with Gregorz. Uh, in Poland, what's his last name? Yes, I forgot. Um, oh gosh, I know he his didn't name tell me there's going to be a quiz. Greg in English, so that's that's, that's <laughs> the part I can. Remember. Well, folks, join us for this sessions tomorrow, uh, eleven a.m. Eastern yeah. time. Would love to have you join. Um, I'm gonna hit two more quick events. In the meantime, folks, uh, at, lots of folks tuning in here today. Let us know if you would. Let us know what part of the world that you're tuned in from. Uh, so, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna go through and say hello to everyone in just a moment, but first, uh, three ways to stay afloat through the supply chain crisis, a distributor story. Mm. This should be an intriguing webinar coming to us, uh, August 2nd, uh, at 1130 AM Eastern time, a little special time, 30 minutes earlier, uh, in partnership with our friends at enable Greg, a distributor story. It might Man. be a, a little different take than what folks are expecting, huh? It is. And I'll, I'll uh, without being a spoiler, I'll tell you that it is a particularly difficult environment for distributors because of every layer of the supply chain, distributors have the smallest margins. Some companies only make money by forward buying their inventory, which, as we can imagine, is a pretty good size risk, especially in these days. But a, a distributor's margins are usually in the somewhere around zero, sometimes even below zero, and 3% range in terms of net margins. So they do a lot of work, take a lot of risk, pr uh, provide a lot of volume. Um, so yeah, I think this will be really interesting. I've worked a lot with distributors uh, over my career, and uh, they are the, whatever you want to call it, they are the uh, knuckle busters of the supply chain industry, no doubt. <laughs> Well, y'all join us August 2nd, 1130 a.m. Eastern time. you got to register for this one, for both this webinar on August 2nd, as well as this next webinar on August 10th. We've got James Malley, Greg, coming back, uh, making a, uh, a on-demand repeat appearance. <laughs> oh, it's love here having on James on the show, yeah. First <laughs> he of all, what he really is. Cool, right? But uh, right. he's just a really cool cucumber, that's for sure. Completely agree. Now, he's going to be joined by a colleague, Rick Jones, uh, also with Packard, and he's also going to be joined by Will Brown, the steward, who's been making uh, uh, a big splash uh, across uh, the industry for a couple of years now. But join us on August 10th, 12 noon Eastern time for sustainability and profitability, the ripple effect of shipping less air. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to register for this one or the August 2nd one, but you can find the link in the comments, and we'd love to have you all join us for uh, those shows. Okay, so Gregory, are we ready to, uh, I got a special guest here. Mitch is joining us, your brother Mitch. No, You're I'm just kidding. kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool, wouldn't it? It would be cool, but he needs, he should be working right now. <laughs> I bet your, uh, your ears perked up a bit when you thought I was yeah, going to bring on what? Mitch. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure right, he knows so let's how to do this. Yeah. We just vaguely <laughs> even get into what we do for a living, right? Mostly we uh, entertain. Let's call it that. Yes. 
That's, that's a nice label. Right. It's a nice label. Entertaining. Well, hello, Usman. Uh, tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Catherine, of course. Happy Buzz Day, everyone. Catherine, Chantel, and Amanda behind the scenes helping make production happen today. Big thanks for what they do. Uh, Kenchan uh, from... India via LinkedIn is here. Welcome, welcome. Looking forward to hearing your take here today. Uh, let's see here. Lakeshwar. Yeah, okay. Lakeshwar. You're probably closer. You're probably closer. Well, let us know which one. We, we want to get everyone's names right. Of course, it's really important. Uh, I've been known to get my three kids' names wrong from time to time still after, what, 13 years? Your own last name but, uh, occasionally. <laughs> occasionally, that's right. Um, uh, Greg will never let me. Uh, lived down the time I signed off by saying I'm Scott Luting. Yes, it Luting is, with a G. In his defense, folks, <laughs> it had been a really long day. Really That's long true. day. Like eight, eight about, interviews or something like that. I was right? about, yeah. At RLA yep. in Vegas. That Vegas, was right man, before and it, the world melted down. That was right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Right after man, the Chiefs won, won the, the Super Bowl, which my wife still <laughs> says is what caused all of this. <laughs> well, what a great trip that was. Yeah. Uh, and, and also, how great is it to have Shelly Phillips back with us uh, from Colorado via LinkedIn? Great to see you again, Shelly. Uh, hey, hey uh, Evans Dispatching Logistics uh, from Waco, Texas. I can't remember your name. I apologize. Let, let us know. Uh, but welcome back. Great to have yeah. you as part of these live streams, as always. Monica. From Seattle. Hello to Monica via LinkedIn. Great to see By you way here of today. Poland, I think she posts later. If, okay. Yeah. But uh, I'm behind raised then. in Poland. Yep. Okay, Monica. Uh, so she might I have some you contacts some for Enrique to get some goods over there. You never know, right? That's right. You never know. Never know. Never close any door. Joey, great to see you here. Making me hungry. It's all about LinkedIn. So, Greg, I think we're talking... Uh, about St. Elmo's Steakhouse. And, and you, do you like a good shrimp cocktail, Greg? Uh, yes, I love shrimp. I'm, yeah. Um, you know, it's gotta, I, I've got to have that extra horseradish in the cocktail sauce. Don't give me ketchup stuff. It's got to be extra spicy where it opens the yep. sinuses. Yes. That's the point, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Otherwise, it is just ketchup, really. Jose is back with us from Southern California. Jose, I hope this finds you well. I know you've been staying busy. Love your content. Yeah, he made a tour out east that's right uh recently that is right? right and he's of course he's with us in spirit here uh out in east here today on the bus so welcome welcome jose uh tita is here via linkedin happy monday everybody let us know Dita, where you are tuned in from bryce taylor happy monday from fort wayne indiana Fort Wayne. Ah. do you know anything about fort wayne indiana greg uh i know that almost everyone there is a uh is a Notre Dame fan. Okay. That's about all I know. Okay. Well, Bryce, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, um, but be, be be kind about it, please. But I believe Fort Wayne, the very I'll first Notre Dame. <laughs> the very first video game home console was developed by Magnavox in Fort Wayne, Indiana, amongst other things. It's a very innovative uh, part of the country. So Pong. Uh, well, it was, uh, I can't remember the name of the Magnavox console, but it's around that time. Yeah. Pong is a great time reference there, Greg. Yeah. Uh, Bryce, great to hear have you here with us today. Gene Pledger from North Alabama is back with us via LinkedIn. How you doing, uh, GP? Good to see you. 
let's see here. Josh Goody, Greg, is giving the weather report. 70 degrees and sunny here in Seattle. Great to have you back, Josh. Best place on the planet to be right now if it's 70 and sunny in Seattle. The greenest place on earth, I would say. Amen. Amen. Because when it's not raining <laughs> and it's sunny, you can see everything that's been growing for the last uh, y- six months. Yasser is here from Savannah, one of our favorite cities via oh, LinkedIn. Great. We're surrounded. We sure are. Charleston and Savannah and Hilton Head. We got it covered. We got it covered. We've covered the coast. Coast to coast. But Yasser, great to have you here. Looking forward to hearing your perspective. And then finally, Joey is tuned in. He's he's hungry, but he's tuned in from sunny Minnesota, at least for a few more months, he says, representing SPS Commerce. Great great to see you here, Joey. SPS Commerce. Yeah. Big VAR. Huge VAR. I mean, they're much broader than that now, but you know, a lot of these companies started out as EDR, EDI VARs, or that was a big part of their business. Okay. Big company. So, Joey, I'm going to ask you one one question. Your favorite place to eat in Minnesota, since you've got us going down the food channel, let us know your one of your favorite places to eat. Well, yeah, and we got to know what town he's in. We got to know where he is. Good point. Too, right? We're going to make reservations yeah. and we'll, we'll meet you there tonight. Um, okay. Uh, Joey, great to have you here. Um, all right. So, Greg, are you ready to dive into our first story here today? Yeah, let's take a look uh, at let's it. Let's see. So we're going to be talking reshoring, onshoring, nearshoring, all all kinds of shoring, right? It's clearly on the mind yeah. and the lips of CEOs more so now than in recent memory. But Greg, according to Bloomberg, it ain't all talk. Check out this number. There's been about a 10% increase in overall building construction over the last year, right? For all types of buildings and sites, okay. right? 10%. But there's been a 116% increase in manufacturing site construction here in the U.S. in that same time frame. So what does that activity look like? Well, some of it we talked about quite a bit already, right? we got three massive semiconductor uh, factories. I think they call those foundries, too, in and around Phoenix, right? Uh, you've got new aluminum and steel plants being built in Alabama, Arkansas, and Kentucky, and all of this construction is increasing demand for air compressors, Greg, amongst other things. Hmm. So leading uh, Ingersoll ran, really big global company, to reopen an old plant near Buffalo, New York, to, to crank out new air compressors. And that's just a little tasting of what that 116% increase, uh, what that looks like. Greg, your take on onshoring, nearshoring, reshoring, and then more. Well, I think... Um you know, not to put a damper on it, but I don't think we've built a lot of manufacturing facilities here in the States in the recent past. So 116, basically just over doubling uh, the the rate that we had before. I'd love to know what that number right. is, right? Not just the percentage. Uh, but I, I do think we're starting to see that. And we're seeing a lot of talk about it. And, and in some cases, a lot of action. The thing we have to recognize is that, you know, we all get excited because we think about it like our parents or grandparents did. It's bringing jobs back to America. The truth is it's probably not bringing that many jobs because I also saw on uh, Bloomberg a celebration of reshoring. And the thesis of the entire discussion was that means more automation, right? Because uh, the labor here is significantly more expensive than virtually anywhere else things are being manufactured for U.S. consumption. Uh, But I don't think that's a bad thing. Look, nobody wants manufacturing jobs. We've talked about this over and over again. 
that people are staying away in droves from manufacturing because of the three Ds, dark, dirty, dangerous. And someone recently added another D, right. dull, right? I think people think of the right. job that way. Perception, it isn't yeah. always, but people think of the job that way. Right. Um, but, but look, if we can bring that back, it simplifies the supply chain. It creates greater safety and stability in the supply chain. I wish I could think of another S, maybe sustainability, maybe even sustainability in the supply chain because um, we cease to do business with five, six, seven tiers of suppliers, hopefully, um, and gain greater control over both the operations and the trade methodologies of it hopefully bring some higher ethics into supply chain as well. But we have to understand that that's going to be a very, very limited uh, number of industries because if it requires labor at all, we just can't right. compete, right? We can't compete with people who make $10,000 a year or less to do jobs that, that Americans want, who knows what, sixty, eighty, dollars $100,000 a year right. to do. Well said. But nevertheless, some expansion. And, yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be cool to see – Real numbers there to get have a better context. So we'll we'll dive into Bloomberg and see what else is there. But um, it's really interesting to see. It's not all talk. There, there. You know, I think the the um, the equation, the value proposition for acting on what folks have been talking about since the pandemic started. You're right, and, and it dawned on the world where we are. Um, and it was it was going to be more than just a little blip, right? Uh, and then I think you factor in beyond the pandemic. Um, from ports to getting close to your consumers to having reliable access to energy, which is a big consideration when you're looking at at new sites for plants and whatnot. Um, it'll be interesting to see just how far uh, this can, this um, th- this movement uh, goes. Um, I, yeah, I think it's it's great that we're doing this. We don't want to get uh, what is that old term um, inappropriately. Enthusiastic or whatever that is, right? Out in front of our skis, maybe. But but now we will have many, many more examples of the the trade offs between offshoring and near re right shoring, whatever you want to call it. Um, And you know, we've been having tons of discussions around this, and there are some companies uh, and some industries very dedicated to doing it, and some of them with good reason because the risk of continuing to be offshore or source offshore is significant so that's right um you know what the truth the truth of that may be that it it produces everlasting inflation for some products or Mm. it could be a relative blip i don't mean a year but it could be three five ten and then they you know the economics change again so you know it's it's a it's a good indicator i think it's a great opportunity for us to uh do some real life analysis of the practicalities of it and then maybe figure out how we support it of course you know there's a bill in congress right now for something like 52 billion dollars to help support onshoring reshoring semiconductor right production so right because we clearly cannot do that so all of us will have to pay whether we buy semiconductors or not we'll have to pay <laughs> to have them built right right that will come out of our our tax dollars well you know uh it's it's also interesting um, the Phoenix in and around the Phoenix, you know, cause the, the huge water component that these semiconductor, uh, facilities, uh, right. that they require, it's going to be interesting. How's that balanced? So especially in the Western half of the country, uh, in the years to come, but Hey, 
uh, we're going to keep our finger on the pulse. Uh, there's so much here. There's so much to it. But uh, but I think the inarguable component of all of this, Greg, is, is the first point you made, that it takes for it to be uh, onshore, for it to be here in the U.S., it's got to be a big technology automation play because the labor market yeah. uh, is very challenging here for sure. Okay. Um, moving right along, Joey, ask and you shall receive. Joey says, oh boy. Uh, Quang's in in Minneapolis, which is a hole in the wall Vietnamese uh, Vietnamese restaurant, uh, was on diners, drive-in, and dives. How about that? Uh, who's got a host set? Uh, what is that? Yes, Guy Fieri. Joey, we're gonna check it out. Yeah, because we are both huge Vietnamese food fans, right? That's true. Scott is a mother foe, mother foe. (laughs) Lover. Um, (laughs) And, you know, and I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, which people will probably drop dead when I say this, has a huge Vietnamese population. So every every day except Monday, because I don't eat that nasty soup with (laughs) eyeballs and guts in it. But, um, man, I loved it. And, of course, my great grandfather lived in a portion of the town that was largely Latin and Vietnamese. Um, So. I mean, Greg, you want to talk about food mecca, Mexican food <laughs> next to next to Vietnamese food, right? Um, get it all done at once. Well, so Greg, I'm, I might surprise you. I don't know if I've shared this with you. You mentioned Wichita, of course. I was there uh, with the Air Force for two years. Oh my gosh, the first that's right. place, the first place I ever had pho was in Wichita. I was introduced to it by my Air Force colleagues. Wow, uh, I can't remember the name of the restaurant. But ever since then, me and Amanda, we love it. We don't get eat it as much as we like. Uh, there's some great places throughout Metro Atlanta to get it, Metro no Highway, and plenty of other places. So uh, we're going to take you up on that, Joey, and and yeah. check out Quangs. Okay, I, dang, I did not know that you got introduced. Yeah, first in place ever. <laughs> Strange. Yeah. Um, Sheldon says, and I think he's part speaking around our first story there. I think it moves the supply chain push, pull boundaries for these firms in terms of market response and improved demand latency. But these plants are still going to be beholding to raw material suppliers that are still from many uh, parts of these undesirable areas. Greg. An excellent point. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I, you know, there's a lot of things we can get into there. I didn't get into, but I'm glad Sheldon did because that's an important thing. You know, Scott, we've had this discussion many times. What does made in America even mean these days? Sometimes right. it's just assembled in America, right? Even American cars have... Um, you know, literally thousands of suppliers and many of them from outside of North America. So. Well, I think a great comparison, uh, the Made in USA stickers, uh, the recyclable three arrow thing. It's amazing how much leeway marketing pros have when it comes to adding that stuff to uh, product packaging. It really is. I've seen, the recycling thing alone, uh, I've, I've seen some fascinating documentaries about just how much leeway uh, and how much things that aren't re- practically recyclable have that so if consumers feel better about purchasing, you know, making certain purchasing decisions. But we'll save that for another show, Greg. I want to I get into uh, one more uh, article here before we bring in our special guest, the one and only Sylvia Judy. And uh, let's see here. I'm going to tee this up here because, Greg, you, your supply chain commentaries on LinkedIn, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you are setting the world on fire, as expected. Uh, this is one you published, I believe it was Friday, six criteria for yep. picking a new supplier based on an article 
uh, that was published in Supply Chain Dive. So, hey, tell us, uh, give us your, your take here. So uh, this is a really good article. It's really very specific. And, um, it, you know, it talks about some very specific, six very specific tactics that you can take. What it made me think of as I read it was, we, it, I think we can pull up a level and think about the categories of those specific, that those specific actions fall into because they're predominantly about four, what I call pillars of supply chain. That's cost, of course, but the impetus of this article was don't just focus on cost. You can't just focus on cost. If anyone has ever or never heard me say that, you probably never heard me say anything because you know this, this is my mantra, right? Supply chain has too long been a cost saving initiative and it needs to be a risk balancing initiative. And that was actually the approach that the article took. I just took it up a level and said, hey, aside from cost, we need to consider reli- reliability and ethics Right, we were just talking about ethics, and we need to talk about uh, speed as well. Right, think about how many companies are behind the eight ball um, or wanting to hit an eight ball because they uh, they their lead times are so long and they missed a season. Target is a great example. By the way, if you're looking for patio furniture on sale, Target, Kohl's, and Walmart are all having big sales on on patio furniture because they missed the the level of demand. Right. Uh, the, the shift of demand in, by consumers. But I, I think what you have to think about in this day and age when selecting a supplier is the broad spectrum of risks that you can have with a supplier. And you need to solve for all of those things because ultimately, when you have a supplier base, you, whoever uses those suppliers and produces or distributes or sells those goods, you are the one who is responsible for representing those to your customers or consumers in the marketplace. And you will be held accountable for actions that your suppliers take or, or failures that your suppliers have. I just think, uh, you know, as I, as I went through this, I thought yep. companies need to and now have a greater ability to take control. Take, they're going to take accountability whether they want it or not. They need to take control of these aspects of their supply chain aside from cost and start to build um, resiliency or reduce fragility or eliminate risk, however you want to say it, in, right. in all of those other areas of their, of their supply chain and procurement. Right. Um, so we've been talking about uh, Greg's supply chain commentary on this supply chain dive article, six criteria for picking a new supplier. Folks, we've dropped the link to uh, Greg's commentary. We'd love for you. There's some great comments. We'd love for you to weigh in. Let, let Greg know what you're thinking about uh, this list. I would just add, Greg, um, you know, beyond, so cost was kind of a, a, a given, right, in the premise of yeah. this article. I think proximity, it, it should also be a given, right? But beyond that, um, the the portfolio mix. You know, I've done a little bit of work with with uh, what I'll call the the world's leading chicken sandwich provider. We'll call, we'll couch it like that. And one of their big mos is they didn't want any of their uh, suppliers too heavily weighted in their business with that same company, right? So that right, um, you know, it, it, so that if if one customer goes away. You know, the whole house of cards doesn't fall in. You know, they want st- that stability. I think you referenced. So, what's that? What's that portfolio mix look like? I think that's a really important thing beyond what you've shared and the six things in the article. Uh, that pro- that portfolio mix can be an important thing uh, um, that really speaks to the reliability and the longevity of of your suppliers you're considering. You got to know okay. your risks. 
you got to know your fragilities and you've got to either eliminate or mitigate them, right? And, and there are all kinds of ways to do that. Don't single thread to the point that you're making. Uh, in fact, I worked with the distributor who was the distributor to that major uh, chicken, sandwich <laughs> chicken sandwich maker retailer. And they, and when, and they got divested of about 50% of their business because they wanted to bring in another distributor. And then it got diluted yet again, because they brought in a much smaller one. So, but, so they had two vendors that had 40% of their business and then another that had 20 ish. Um, and, and that, I think that's a great example. And, and there are all kinds of those things as well. You have to filter, um, or adapt to the other risks in your supply chain. And again, you have to think of something. This is the primary theme here. You have to think of something besides cost right. as that, as those, as risks that are worth uh, managing toward, right? Well Speed, said. reliability, and ethics, I think, are the three that come immediately to mind. Love that uh, and agree. All right. So T-Squared is with us. T-Squared, great to have you here. Sounds like agile and responsive supply chains are trying to collide, which would be a major plus. Now, look, he, he is still waiting on that trivia prize. Now, I know Amanda. I know it got stolen in the mail. I'm sure yeah, it got something. stolen in the mail, Tyrone. So, yeah. so here, this is what I want to do. The next 30 minutes, let's solve this little challenge. So T-squared, I know Catherine, I believe it was Catherine, had reached out via YouTube we want to get that prize in your hands for you answering that trivia question. Or can we just say supply chain issues? <laughs> supply, yeah, that's right, the Greg. So T-squared, let's get you connected with Amanda Catherine, and let's solve that uh, today if we can. But great to have you here, and we're going to get that fixed. Um, okay, so uh, with no further ado, Greg. Um, We've had a lot to, of do. We have a lot of do, don't we? Well, I want to... Um, you know, we are excited to have one of our favorites, one of our long, long-time friends, a fellow uh, passionista when it comes to all things global supply chain like we are. So I want to welcome in Sylvia Judy, a member of JAS Forwarding and president of the Customs Brokers and Freight Forwarders Association of Charleston, South Carolina, to the conversation. Sylvia. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> that is right. As I, as I coined the phrase, moin, y'all, because it represents <laughs> both of my home ports, which is Hamburg, <laughs> Germany, and, of course, Charleston, South Carolina. So thank you again, Scott and Greg. It's great to be back. It's been almost two years, as you said earlier. And um, I hate that I keep missing y'all during lunchtime, but we have a lot of team calls during that time frame. So it's it's just an honor to be back. So thank you for having me. And and Greg, here's your yes, blueberry jam. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, I love I'll, it. I love I'll it. Save you the delivery charge, and I'll come get it. How's that? Well, you you're practically a neighbor now. You're probably forty miles as the crow flies now. So, yeah. right, man, right. we're gonna have to get that fixed. Okay, before we dive in with Sylvia. Okay, talking about getting things fixed. T-squared, send us a note to Catherine at supplychainnow.com. We're going to get that fixed. Uh, great to have you here in the audience. David, David, great to have you back via LinkedIn. Let us know yeah. where you're tuned in from. And finally, Greg, it's been a long time. Greg, welcome back. He's sharing an article from Business Insider on some of the companies that are bringing manufacturing back. So thank you for that, Greg. I love, we, we all love manufacturing. I'm a big manufacturing nerd myself. Okay, 
So, Greg, we the first place we want to start with Sylvia, right? We, we uh, one of your many nicknames, Sylvia, is you're an esteemed ambassador informally, but still the esteemed ambassador for the wonderful supply chain ecosystem of Charleston, South Carolina. So if you can, give us a quick update on what's going on, not just across that ecosystem, but also including, of course, a big juggernaut, the ports of Charleston. Thank you very much, Scott. Yes, I don't know if I'm an ambassador. I try (laughs) to be. I try to represent both my home ports in the best of my ability. But Charleston, of course, is very near and dear to my heart, as I shared with you previously. I moved to Charleston a week before Hurricane Hugo blew through here in September 21st, 1989. So everybody keeps blaming me for it. I don't know, but I say I took the city (laughs) by a storm. (laughs) Nonetheless, I made And Scott, I don't know, you probably were stationed at the Air Force at one particular point here in Charleston because we do have a large Air Force um, base here. And, um, you know, we also have, because of the, the Air Force, our runway actually can land a 747 with no problem. I think it's 3,600 meters. I don't know. Don't quote me on it. Because I don't know for sure. But anyway, so we can handle the big birds too, which, you know, even though we're in the Port of Charleston, but air freight is a very critical component in the South Carolina market. And with that being said, Port of Charleston, yes, you're absolutely right. We had a huge milestone. And um, that is basically changing of the leadership or continuation of the great leadership. Jim Newsom retired, and Barbara Melvin is now the president and CEO of the South Carolina State Sports Authority, which makes her the first female leading a top 10 U.S. port. So this is really something, you know, I'm really big on trailblazers and Barbara for sure is a trailblazer in our industry and um, in the global supply chain world and uh, a, a fantastic keynote speaker on top of it. So I'm very proud and um, very humbled to be associated with the Port of Charleston, and particularly through the Customs Brokers and Freight Forwarders Association here in Charleston, which I was um, honored to be selected or elected the president for the year 2022. And as you know, we've had these conversations before. The pandemic pandemic has taught us one thing, and that is resilience. Right. And then the second thing it taught us is agility. And with that being said, you know, the Port of Charleston has moved forward and has had record-setting year-over-year results on full container business and on the financial impact. But just a couple of... um, So, Sylvia, really quick, if mm -hmm. I can can interject just for a minute, going back to uh, Greg, Barbara Melvin. And if I heard that factoid right, Sylvia, first female leader of a top 10 port in across the country. That is Greg, that is a, that's a big piece of news. Yeah. Well, in Charleston, I mean, is inarguably one of the best operated ports in the nation. Right. I mean, um, they got a lot of, of uh, whatever you want to call it, a lot of demand placed on them because of the inadequacies of the ports on the West coast. And of course in the Northeast um, and they have handled that, in stellar fashion. And, you know, they had their own backup at one point, but never to the extent that any of the other ports had. And they have completely cleared that. And, you know, we can verify that, Scott, because we keep 
track of the ports on our little friend here. <laughs> so, um, I, I mean, I can we can literally look and see that they are doing a great job. There are three ships anchored o- offshore Man. Uh, from the port of Charleston right now. So, Man. Actually, the, uh, as of 8.30 this morning, it was zero vessels on Anchorage. Wow. Well, these might That's be a- new arrivals. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So they are just this, this lined up. Just landed a minute ago, three minutes ago. Yeah. So they're probably just some ones that have just mm. recently landed. Right. Well, uh, really quick, Sylvia. And then, and then I know you're going to continue and share a few more updates, but you referenced uh, the Air Force there in Charleston. I think that's the leading base for the C-17 uh, and, and all the it global is. transport work that um, Charleston Air Force Base does. So, and the C-17, I think C-5 is still bigger than the C-17, but, but, I think C5's operated out of that same base. I'm not sure if they've they've uh, replaced that fleet locally, but uh, it can handle whatever I think the civilian side throws at it. So I'm glad you called that out as a proud Air Force uh, nerd on my end. Okay. So, so Scott, just a Greg, bit of trivia. So yes. coming down the coast, this happened, I'm sure, in Charleston, um, Beaufort, Bluffton, and in Hilton Head, the F-16s and C-17s, um, did a flyover on the 4th of July, as did the 18s from Camp Lejeune um, as, about that? Know, down the coast. So that was pretty cool. We had bunches of Marines out there on, <laughs> on, the, on the beach waving flags and getting the wings it. tipped. Yeah. Dude, yeah, so. I think there's little, uh, as we're all smiling and shaking our heads, a flyover. Uh, the, the flyovers on the best kidding, thing. man. Before the Super Bowl, before big games, I mean that really. If you want to get that crowd ready and know something big's coming, you you put, um, you know, the F sixteens and missing man formation roaring across the stadium. I mean that's man, it's awesome. Okay, yeah. So Sylvia and David, I see your question. We'll try to get to that in a moment. Uh, but Sylvia, uh, please continue with kind of your update on what's going on in Charleston. If we have any geographically challenged folks. I'll raise my hand sometimes, but here, you know, Charleston sits there between Savannah and Myrtle Beach. You'll see its proximity to Jacksonville, some of the you know other ports uh, up and down the eastern seaboard. But Sylvia, please continue. Thank you, Scott and Greg. I actually enjoyed that same flyover right here on Johns Island, and it was absolutely spectacular and um, a great, wonderful, wonderful way to show your patriotism. And it's just heart touching to me. But yeah. um. Just a couple of stats here. Tax revenue generated in South Carolina, $1.1 billion annually through the Port of Charleston. Wow. We've got an economic impact of $63.4 billion through the South Carolina port industry. One out of 10 jobs in South Carolina is associated with port-related industries. Hmm. And... um, as we know, the struggles have been quite severe for everyone in the supply chain, and especially when it comes to the logistical aspect of things. You know, there is a multitude of factors that formed or really created the perfect storm for the entire industry. And part of the main issue was, of course, the backup, uh, backup on the West Coast ports, which, you know, carriers, again, showed the flexibility to move everything to the eastern seaboard, which, of course, at first, and even in Jim Newsom's last chat and chew meeting that we had, luncheon, he said, you know, we all just kind of got a little bit greedy <laughs> and said, told everyone to come on, come on, we can handle the business <laughs> here in Charleston. 
Well, Savannah, of course, our friendly sister, rival port, said same thing. And um, just a little bit of history on Jim Newsom. His father was actually the port director of the Port of Savannah. Really? So, yes. <laughs> Which I thought was really a little interesting tidbit because he is actually a Savannah gentleman. And um, when he told his father, I'm sure that was an interesting conversation that they had way back 13 years ago when he took on the post to become the president and CEO of the South Carolina State Sports Authority. But uh, with that being said, we had all of a sudden everything that was, you know, at the West Coast, West Coast, Los Angeles, Long Beach, we had up to 137 vessels at any given point on Anchorage. So when they diverted through the Panama Canal coming to the eastern seaboard, uh, there was no way that we were able to accommodate that any port for that matter that caused kind of like the trickle down effect of having all these vessels on Anchorage moving from the West Coast to the East Coast and uh, ports that are still heavily affected are now still Savannah and um, even Norfolk to a lesser extent and um, New York, New Jersey, of course, you know, which is the largest um, ports authority on the East coast. And uh, with that being said, we had the new Hugh Leatherman terminal that was inaugurated in April of 2020. And um, it was the first, well, semi-inaugurated, I should say, let me correct myself. (laughs) But um, anyway, you know, with that being said, that was the first new terminal being added into a U.S. port since 2009. And then, of course, you know, right in the midst of the pandemic and, um, you know, there were delays and the cranes, et cetera. And then, of course, there was um, other issues that kind of refrained us from uh, going out full force at 100 percent but right, right now i think we're at 62 percent give or take okay. um utilization, which is great okay and uh the port of charleston also recently started a new program called um the smart pool they launched that new program and it's done by thomas jones who also was the former education chair for the CBFFAC. So I have to put a little plug in. And Thomas, I'm so sad that you left uh, the freight <laughs> forwarding side, but best of luck to you on your new endeavors. And I know you're going to do great things for the port with that with that new pool. And um, you know that way we are able to keep a really good eye on the pool situation. Equipment is an issue for everyone, every right. port. Mm-hmm. Charleston is no different. Warehouse and distribution space. Everyone is short, you know, we're, we're, I think, don't quote me on the numbers, but several million square feet short of having actual physical distribution space available within a 50 mile radius of the port. So Um, Sylvia, the, 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 to summarize, uh, warts and all challenges and challenges and all Charleston can handle your freight, uh, whether you're a primary option, a backup option, you name it soon it's going to be, as we were talking pre-show, as soon it'll be the deepest port in the East Coast, uh, which is cool. Um, so let's really quick. I want to shift gears uh, for a moment. Uh, and Josh says, uh, Charleston has been amazing to work through. Some of the equipment I get out of Germany was a real lifesaver. Well, Josh, that is a great segue because Sylvia has uh, um, a deep connections and network in Germany. And Greg we're a bit familiar with, with what's going on um, in the German labor market uh, as of uh, in the last few weeks here. 
And I'm gonna get both of y'all to weigh in here. Uh, but sure. but it kind of set the table here. Um, according to the, to CNBC, the unions that represent labor at 58 ports and terminals across Germany and the Netherlands, well, they aren't satisfied with the latest offer for management. In particular, the unions want to see higher levels of compensation, increased pay due to inflation. There appears, unfortunately, to be an impasse of sorts. And as we all know, that will certainly add more uh, supply chain consternation globally the longer that it goes on. And of course, again, this is from CNBC. So with that, kind of just teeing things up. uh, uh, Sylvia, let's start with you. What's going on there in Germany and and how soon before you think we're going to see some relief? That's a loaded gun question. (laughs) 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 I will answer that to the best of my ability. Currently, the environment, we just had the sixth round of negotiations fail with no result. Verdi, which is V-E-R dot D-I, the German Labor Union for Service Worker and Port Related Workers, and it encompasses all of the service industry really and truly. They have 12,000 members that are working in port-related and terminal operating um, facilities, which is 58 of them all together. Then there is their Zentralverband Deutscher Seehäfen, which is the central organization for all seaport and and terminal operators in Germany. And uh, the the sixth round of negotiation, the union asked for a 14% increase over one year. And the the terminal operators counteroffered with 12.4% over a two-year time span. The union rejected that offer, and um, now they are calling for mediation However, the union states, you know, we're in within our union rules. And, you know, again, the German u- union rules are a little bit different than in the U.S. Let me just by um, state, state that beforehand. And um, they are saying we don't really want to have a mediation at this point because we're still in the proper chain of negotiation. So they're rejecting the, in, the um, suggestion of having a mediation meeting with that. So... Talking to my dad this morning, which, of course, is my main source of information still to this day. He is retired merchant marine and um, he is still listening to the news and very much in tune as my grandfather, my father's father, was actually one of the founding members of one of the huge labor unions in Germany. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so we are historically a union family, but um, of course, you try to be as objective as possible. And, um, you know, my father even said it's going to be a hot summer in more ways than one because mm. he an- anticipates and, you know, it is over the German news media that additional warn strikes. There already have been two warn strikes. One, the first one was the third shift. The second one was a 24-hour war strike. So there is anticipation of additional war strikes because there doesn't seem to be a meeting of the mind. It, it appears to be so close, but fundamentally there are just some real large objections from the union membership because right. they say inflation is through the roof. And I mean, unofficially, officially it says, I think it's, 9.7 percent wow. however unofficially the numbers are somewhere between 15 and 19 percent mm. you know people are 
feeling the pain at the pump. They're feeling the pain when they're going into the grocery stores. And then coupled, of course, with the Ukraine-Russian conflict, right. um, gas and oil is going to be um, pretty much shut off. Yes. What, and what, yeah, and, and, and the last point, Greg, I want to get you away in here. And there's been lots of the energy leadership across Germany and, and other uh, European countries. They're, they're ringing a bell. Hey, we've got some right now. Sure, there are shortages, but, man, where we're headed, it's going to it's gonna fall off a cliff um, in terms of, of supply. Greg, uh, weigh in on on what we're seeing. Uh, what uh, as, as Sylvia was was kind of giving us the, um, she's not presenting it as an inside insider's take, but she's got some great sources as she mentioned. Greg, your take. Yeah. Well, uh, let me open with I know nothing about uh, <laughs> German uh, labor laws and the like. I do know this. I know a lot about German culture, and I, I can tell you that if they are thinking of this, isn't like France or Spain or Italy. They don't they don't strike because they got mad one day or they have to work on a Thursday or work a full eight hour day. I mean, the, this it, it must be a very serious situation if German workers are considering striking. And uh, the numbers, uh, underlying numbers, some of us here in the States know that our uh, CPI is coming out today. It's probably going to hit at about 8.8%. If you measure that the way they used to measure inflation um, just 20, 30 years ago, it's much, much higher than that in the 16 to 19% range, just like Sylvia said in Germany. So the real effect on workers is much, much greater than being represented. And, um, and yet a lot of these companies um, and ports and whatnot, they see the end of this demand boom coming, right? And the inevitability of recession coming globally. Um, you know, we're, now we're not just talking about a U.S. or a European uh, recession. We're talking about the inevitability of it all all over the world. So, um, so they're trying to balance giving additional pay, which I, I mean, I'm sure I, I don't know how fair this usually is, but they're trying to balance that with the coming downturn of demand for just about everything as prices continue to go higher. Um, and yet it's hitting uh, you know, it's hitting workers at a higher level than people perceive. So it's a very, very delicate balancing act here. Um, so, you know, the only thing I can say is uh, as long as they keep moving forward, and my experience has been that they do typically negotiate in good faith in Germany uh, and, and the Netherlands, um, as long as they keep moving forward, they'll get to some point that will at least release the pressure on workers. But Hamburg is an enormous port, just Hamburg, right? You right. think of the other ports in the Netherlands, Rothenburg, and elsewhere. They are enormous ports. Um, and if either or any of just those two were to come to a halt or even a significant slowdown, it would have a dramatic impact on the import of goods. And think about this, gang, because the natural gas and fuel and uh and fuel and also some grain supplies are not coming from russia or won't be right. coming in the same volume that's being imported through those ports um so you know there's there are a lot of lingering and laggard effects that that will be impacted by any kind of slowdown or disruption in in those ports 
uh, it's, I mean, it's frightening a little bit to, you know, as to what the result could be, but, um, I don't know. I, for some reason, I just always feel better about, about those kind of negotiations and that kind of business in Germany, which is clearly the most stable economy in Europe by a far, far piece. Mm. Um, and, and the other thing you have to recognize is Germany does support a lot of the less viable uh, economies on the European continent as well. Those being France and Spain and Italy and others that are not, not able to stand on their own and experiencing right. incredible inflation themselves. So, um, all right. So that's quite a picture. Both of y'all are painting. Uh, Sylvia, I want to give you, you know, it's tough to, tough to, uh, dive much deeper in a, in a 10 minute or so segment, but Sylvia, I'm going to give you the last word. And then we want to make sure folks know how to connect with the one and only Sylvia Judy. So last word on the, the, the situation there in Germany. I would recommend everyone just to have your supply chain proactively planned out. Look for alternative methods of transportation. We at Jazz, we offer a variety of different alternatives. And of course, you know, feel free to contact me. The way to get in touch with me is, of course, through LinkedIn, Sylvia yeah. Judy. I think it might even be under Sylvia Mueller, Judy, because I think there was another Sylvia Judy, believe it or not. And I didn't think it was possible. I know there's other <laughs> Sylvia Mueller's, but Sylvia Mueller, Judy, that's it. That's a surefire way to find me. Wow. And, um, you know, anyone interested in the Charleston or South Carolina industry, please look us up on the Customs Brokers and Freight Forwarders Association of Charleston. We have a new website. It's cbffac.com. Okay. And you will find the membership application. And I would love to welcome the opportunity to welcome new companies. May it be in the, in the transportation side. May it be in the Customs Brokers side, Freight Forwarding, Logistics, OTI, we are always looking for new members. We're looking for new talent. And uh, keep that in mind and um, keep on rolling. I mean, the world will not stop. We are still doing the same thing in transportation as we did during the days of Christopher Columbus. So <laughs> keep that freight moving. <laughs> so uh, really quick, I want to take – so we, <laughs> we try to make it easy uh, to get uh, connect with Sylvia Judy, folks. We dropped uh, LinkedIn, direct link there in the comments. You don't want to miss the opportunity to connect with Sylvia. And by the way, we we also want to take this opportunity, Greg. You and I have chatted about it, but Sylvia is not only a wonderful ambassador uh, for all things Charleston, but she is a big advocate for our veterans. And there's been several times when folks are reaching out to us and want they want to get plugged in, they want to kind of figure out the Charleston ecosystem and and network community and all. Sylvia brings them under her wings in a meaningful way. Steed's not words. Yeah. And Sylvia, that means a ton uh, to us here. And just want to thank you uh, publicly for what you do in that regard. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. I, I'm so humbled and I so appreciate the opportunity to be of assistance. I've never been in the military, but, you know, I'm honors, honors galore. Mm. Well, we appreciate that. It takes advocates, whether you've served or haven't served. Uh, the, uh, the job is too big to rely only on veterans. So I really appreciate what you do and love what you've dropped on us here. And in the last 25 minutes or so, we're going to have to have you back. But Greg, your final word with Sylvia before we uh, 
we yeah well start just a sign a, yeah a sign of her kindness i think i said rothenberg not rotterdam but that's <laughs> that's the port that i was referring to um so thanks for not correcting me there sylvia but um yeah i mean i think the you know the important thing is that sylvia has eyes on all aspects of this not just her business so many of us it's so easy to be absorbed in our business but you know, working with this freight forwarders association group, um, keeping eyes on both Germany and uh, Charleston. I think that's a unique perspective, and all the trade lanes in in between there. Um, I, I think it's you know it's it's a unique perspective that you have, Sylvia, and I appreciate you sharing it so freely. You know, in the comments whenever you're on the show or here, uh, as you've joined us today. So thanks for keeping our eyes open to all that. That's right. Finger on the pulse. Uh, big thanks, yeah. uh, Sylvia Judy, uh, with uh, JAS forwarding, but also with the uh, Sylvia the Association. That is the let's see here, the Customs Brokers and Freight Forwarders Association of Charleston, South Carolina. So appreciate your leadership there. That's that's right. CBFAC.com. <laughs> but Sylvia, hey, we will see you again soon. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you. Good to see y'all. All right, man. She is a dynamo. I'll tell you. Um, love it. Uh, let's see. Kim Winter. Speaking of Kim Winter, great to see you. The one and only. Man, there you can go. you imagine getting Sylvia Judy and Kim Winter together? Man, the uh, the we stars would. Uh, yeah, we should do that. We should do um, that. Yeah. Kim says greetings from the Dubai team, just back from Rotterdam, Europe's there biggest port. A uh, hundred thousand inland waterway vessel visits annually. Goodness. Um, like 30,000 ocean vessels blockages are starting. That is mm. not good news, Kim, but Hey, hope this finds you and your team. Well, though, Josh says Germany got saddled with the loss to the EU from Brexit. Add that to the stance they're taking while more than 60% of their power imports from Russia show the amount of responsibility and risk the workforce in Germany is dealing with. Yeah. Excellent point there. Well, they Josh. were huge. They were a huge pedestal for uh, the continental portion of Europe to lean on, even even before Brexit. But yeah, that put an incredible amount of additional pressure That's on right. them. Um, all right, so big thing, y'all. Make sure y'all connect with Sylvia Judy. She's, uh, I tell you, uh, she's one of a kind. Um, all right, so Greg, we've got a big week of programming. You know, of course, we had the buds yes. here today, and Sylvia. We've got rate links uh, tomorrow, Tuesday at twelve noon, talking about diversifying uh, your transportation, your your carrier uh, beyond yeah. the big two, as they called it. Uh, Thursday, we've got Netstock, uh, really talking about using technology uh, to help maintain and optimize the work life balance, and frankly, to recruit and retain top talent uh, Thursday at 12 noon. But tomorrow, uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday, Wednesday. Greg, Wednesday, yeah. we've got one of the bigger movers and shakers across global business, global supply chain. Rick McDonald, the chief supply chain officer with the Clorox company, joining us at 12 noon on Wednesday. What are you most excited about here? Well, I mean, he's one of the premier leaders of in supply chain. I mean, we've had him on the show a couple times before and just his, what was really insp inspiring and still strikes me is his leadership ability and, and his and his company's viewpoint on putting people first and enabling them and, um, and, you know, just the constant, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's just kind of a natural 
leadership mentality that he has. And, I'm not, and that's different than managing, right? right? It's nurturing people. It's positioning people for success. We, we've just in talking to him in the last week, we've seen the number of examples of that. And, um, and I think you'll learn a lot about that. Plus about some of the, you know, some of the innovation that, that Clorox, you know, had to do. I mean, hey, look, nobody came through <laughs> the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 <laughs> without Unscathed. any dings. Right. Right. Yeah. Without any dings, but, but, um, they were active and responsive and effective in, you know, in, in kind of reestablishing balance in their supply chain. And I think, you know, we're going to get to hear a little bit about that story as well. I, I agree with you. And I, you know, as I shared, I think yesterday on, on social, um, you know, we've had the opportunity of, of talking with and interviewing, uh, having some behind the scene conversations, having plant tours uh, of the Clorox company. I just got caught over the last five or six years. And goodness gracious, uh, you can see it in all of those interactions, that culture. You know, uh, Rick shared with us just to navigate through the the crazy times in the last couple of years, kind of three hallmarks they've really embraced. People are at the center of all that we do. Do the mm-hmm. right thing and play to win. And we see that time and time again. So, folks, you're not going to want to miss uh, this conversation, this live conversation on Wednesday, 12 noon Eastern time with the Clorox Company's Rick McDonald. So join us, bring your questions, bring your observations. And I think, of course, we're partial. Don't take our word for it. We've had, as Greg mentioned, we've interviewed Rick several times, but I think you'll you'll walk away with a whole new different appreciation for what uh, the Clorox Company and their team has done in recent years. Okay, Greg, uh, first off, again, happy birthday to Mitch White in Indianapolis. Yes. Mitchell David. Uh, hope- Mitchell, yes. if anyone wants his social security number, I've got it as well. <laughs> Love it. Mitchell David White. Okay. Uh, big thanks to Sylvia Judy, who joined us here today. A dynamo. A, you, we just can't cover enough ground. We need like a, a six hour conversation when we talk with Sylvia and all the things going on there. But I love how she weighed in uh, and, and some of that, that family supply chain history she shared, Greg. Um, big thanks to our production team. Uh, on the money today, Catherine, Chantel, and Amanda. Hey, um, make sure T squared Saul, T squared, make sure you reach out, right? We're going to make a wrong or right. We've been trying for a long time. Shoot Catherine a note, and we're going to make sure we get your prize headed over to you soon. Greg, your last uh, comment before we sign off here today. Uh, it's a tumultuous world right now, but look, I think the thing that you have to recognize if you're a supply chain professional is that this is the world we often live in. The only difference for anyone who's not already a supply chain practitioner is you know about it now. Um, it used to be we operated kind of behind the scenes in darkness in, you know, in kind of this black box, uh, area that nobody really understood performing unnatural acts and weird magic. But now, um, because there's so much transparency in the world, and again, since the great toilet paper shortage of 2020, so much awareness of consumers, I want everyone to understand this is not a distinctively more complex world than supply chain has been managing over the past 20, 30, 40 years. It is only more open and viewable by the rest of the world. So there's no need to panic. Uh, supply chain professionals got this. 
Um, there will be disruptions. There always have been. It's just that we're coming off of the largest singular and glo most global disruption uh, ever. And um, it's going to take some time to get, you know, to get stability back in supply chain. To get it right. Hey, the good news, folks, the good news is you've got wonderful leaders out there like Rip McDonald, like Sylvia Judy, like Kim Winter and beyond that are helping yep. us all navigate through these times. So we're going to leave it there today. Uh, big thanks to Greg White and the whole team here. Greg, always a pleasure to have conversations with you on uh, like, like over the last hour. But folks, hey, take a page from these folks' book here. Um, Scott Luton challenging you to whatever you do, whatever you do, first off, don't don't panic, don't fear, but rather do good <laughs> to get forward and be the change that's needed. Be like uh, Sylvia Judy. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.